from Health 2023 in Las Vegas, Nevada. It's the MMM Podcast. I'm Jack O'Brien. I'm the digital editor at MMM coming from lovely Las Vegas here at the Health Conference. And I'm joined today by a very special guest. You want to introduce yourself? Hi, Jack. My name is Lisa Banks. I am VP for Digital Health and Innovation at GSK Tech. Really appreciate you being on the show here. Want to cover a lot of ground, starting first with the fact that it's your first health conference here in Las Vegas. Kind of give us a lay of the land. What's your perception of everything that's going on, the conversation, the energy? So I'll also caveat by saying it's my first time in Vegas as well. So wow to the energy, amazing conference. I've heard great things about it, but nothing can prepare you from actually being here. Um, Whether that be going to you know, pet some puppies or get the hair blow out at the salon. Um, but more importantly, it's about the diversity of the ecosystem that we just don't get at other more traditional pharma conferences. And that's the reason that GSK are here to say we're open for business. We're all in for digital health. Help educate us. We're here to engage. We're here to learn. We're here to connect. And that's such a huge part of what our audience is looking for in terms of, you know, the next steps, the post-COVID health ecosystem. Obviously, hard to miss GSK here with the uh, huge booth that you have with the orange glow and everything. I wanted to start off, though, I caught the tail end of your panel. And if you can give our audience a little bit of a synopsis of what you talked about on there as it relates to data and its role in healthcare and certainly the next uh, generation of healthcare that we see going forward, we can go some more specifics from there. Yeah. So um, I kind of share a little bit of my personal story as well in that I've sat on both sides of of the fence when it comes to partnering with pharma. So the the panel was around uh, how to partner with with pharma. And I, uh, a long time ago, had a, uh, I co-founded a biotech startup. So I know how hard it is to try and find the right person to speak to, to be able to articulate clearly the value that you're able to bring to one of the clear, the challenges. So there were some, some real lessons learned that I wanted to be able to share, uh, but also having been within the other side of the fence now within pharma, what we're actively looking for. So why are GSK at a conference like this? What are some of the problems that we're trying to solve? And I gave three kind of priorities uh, around digital tech and the types of companies that we're looking to work for. First of all, in understanding our strategy. What are the problem areas that we're looking to, f- to, to focus in? Our purpose is uniting science times talent times tech. That's what you're going to find at health. But we're focused on infectious disease. We're focused on oncology. We're focused on respiratory uh, immunology and HIV. So companies that have data sources that either allow us to serve those patients, and we've got the ambition to serve 2.5 billion patients and make a positive impact on their lives, that align to those strategic priorities, this is where we're wanting to to connect with with them at at health. From a, a data perspective, One thing that we are not apologetic about is we are a 300-year-old company. We have a heritage on trust. Um, Your listeners will uh, be very um, mindful of the trust in putting out information, correct, authoritative, confident information. And the same applies to our data. So the partnerships that we're looking for have to uh, mirror our values when it comes to cybersecurity, data integrity, data hygiene, irrespective of the size of the organization, that is just something that we need to make sure is safe, secure, so we maintain that uh, confidence in the data that we're using. The data is only as good as, as what we're putting into it, and it has to be high quality. 
And you talk about some of those partnerships. I was wondering if you can kind of elaborate on where GSK has made some of the more meaningful partnerships on the data front. I know that a lot of you talk about, obviously, the storied history of GSK. You're not just going to go around looking for anybody to partner with. You want somebody that's aligned on your values and you know is going to get the most out of that partnership going forward. Yeah, and we've got a number of um, strategic partnerships. So there are many different problems that we have to solve. And my mantra is the bigger the problem, the bigger the need for innovation, the bigger the need for collaboration. So uh, working with the likes of Microsoft, Google Cloud, uh, Tempest, in order to be able to look at some of the infrastructure that we've got to make sure that we are set up for success in our data architecture and, and our journey to cloud as well. We've been one of the forerunners, I would say, GSK in our journey to cloud with data. Um, are shining examples about how we can move quickly when we've got the right partner in place. Uh, if I turn it to some of the smaller organizations, though, where we're looking for quite niche, novel capabilities, uh, one example that I'll give is when we're looking for identifying diverse patients in clinical trials. Um, some of those, especially in infectious disease areas, it's a challenge to be able to try and find the right patient that could benefit from a clinical trial. And using traditional methods, we probably it would take us thousands. It, the industry takes thousands of hours in order to try and identify right patients that would benefit from clinical trials. Using artificial intelligence, machine learning, and working with an organization that have a quite bespoke uh, method to be able to uh, analyze unstructured data means that we can get that down to an hour. And it's a hundred times more accurate that we're able to identify those patients. So the, 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 the so what of that is, yes, we can move quicker, we can build those trials quicker, but also we can identify a diverse patient population. And GSK have a commitment to make sure that the, the clinical trials that we run for the medicines and the diseases that we're treating is representative of the populations that have those diseases. So the diversity is really, really clear. Back in the day where it was you were a white 70 kilogram male in order to partake in a clinical trial is no longer the case. It's interesting to hear you talk about that. I spoke with Walgreens chief clinical trials officer earlier, and she had made a similar point where it's the industry not only recognizes that's a problem, but is now enacting solutions to your point of saying, we need to diversify, we need to be quicker, we need to do X, Y, and Z on that front. I'm curious about maybe what that next generation of clinical trials looks like from your perspective going forward. I know a lot of companies are saying we need to diversify. We've heard the health equity argument. We've, we saw everything that happened with COVID. What does that look like for GSK in the future? I love that you asked this question. Honestly, <laughs> this is where you're going to have to kind of go, okay, Lisa, calm down. So in three years' time, I believe 70% of our data from clinical trials will be coming from sensors and wearables. That is the future. That is the way in which we're going to be developing medicines, and that's what we need to be ready for. The, the thing that excites me the most is that we're going to be able to identify new but digi through digital biomarkers, we'll be able to identify new patient phenotypes. We'll be looking at real-time data. Um, gone are the days whereby people will be filling out a paper questionnaire. It's going to be looking at monitoring and identifying some of those signals that potentially can get ahead of disease. And GSK are looking to get ahead of disease together. If we could start to give some uh, feedback to the physician or to the patient that there's a worsening of their condition, they're having an exacerbation, or it's looking like they're trending towards uh, the need to go and speak to a healthcare provision, and you can do that sooner. Wouldn't that be incredible? So 
the best problem is a problem that you don't have. And getting ahead of disease through vaccination, through symptom tracking, is exactly where the future of digital health is going to take us. And it sounds a lot what I've heard from other healthcare executives across the spectrum, whether they're hospital executives, pharma executives, you name it, is talking about that flipping it from sick care into a more proactive preventative care model. And this is kind of putting that into action, if you will. It is putting it into action. I also think it's opening up channels to make our medicines more accessible. So when we're thinking about remote clinical trials, remote capture of, of data, you don't have to live next to a teaching hospital in order to partake in a clinical trial. You could live anywhere because you're able to monitor and, and partake within that trial. That means we're going to get more diverse populations uh, involved in our trials. We're also going to be able to get more diverse populations um, who can have access to our medicines and medical care. I wanted to ask you a question as it relates to the health data conversation, because I hear from executives all the time, they, it, it becomes a buzzword at, at some point, just saying, like, we need to focus on data, we need to invest in data. From your perspective, because you are such a leader on that front, maybe what are some of the most glaring misconceptions or misunderstandings around data? Because I think people just say, like, oh, if I just throw money at data, or if I say I'm going after data, then I'm doing my job. But it has to be a, a lot more you know, strategic in the way that you approach data if you really want to get the results you're looking for. Yeah, and I think it comes back to that data hygiene, so the quality of the data, rubbish in, rubbish out. You have to have confidence in the data that you are either acquiring or that you're uh, producing yourself. So looking at it as the more data, the better that, it, that uh, your output's going to be is a fallacy. It's, it's all about the quality of the data. Can you trust the information that's coming through? Is that therefore going to give you a meaningful uh, analysis? What do you do with that data once you've got it? We're swimming in a sea of data. In the last three months alone, GSK have generated more data than we ever have in our history. And we're a 300-year-old company. I'm really kind of curious, too. Obviously, you've spoken to where GSK stands on this, but you probably look out at the, the broad industry and see you know, some of your competitors and rivals you know, making data investments. Are you optimistic about where the future of data innovation and health data comes from on the pharma side, or is there still room for improvement from your perspective? I think there's always room for improvement. I think um, I come back to the trust so as a collective, we've got a, we are custodians. We have to be responsible in how we look at that data. There has to be transparency in why we are collecting data. I think it's a perfectly reasonable question to understand why are we collecting data? How do we intend to use it? I think demystifying helps to build that trust uh, with, with colleagues and with, with peers as well, uh, where we can start to pool information sources as well to make the case even more positively. Um, but I will say that uh, when it comes to um, the regulations as well, one thing that would facilitate globally is the globalization of standards. Mm -hmm. So when we see different geographies, different uh, governments um, having different guidelines and regulations about data security, data storage, it, 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 it creates more complexity around an already complex problem. So we're looking to try and get some united standards around that so that irrespective of the size of the organization, you can benefit from the right data. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of curious too, like you talk about, obviously you've referenced GSK's very long history in the healthcare sphere. I think a lot of people would be 
surprised to a certain extent saying like, oh yeah, this is a company that's obviously so nimble and innovative. Can you talk about that from a leadership perspective? Because I think a lot of people always think like, you got to be the fast moving startup. You got to be the, the, the small hungry competitor, but like the likes of GSK and other large blue chip pharma companies are making a lot of differences on the health uh, data and innovation side. Yeah. So I would say, um, we're not short of ideas. I mean, I think good ideas come from anywhere, any part of our organization. The, the competitive advantage I believe GSK has is that we are at the forefront of executing the value of those ideas. So they, they will reside as an idea on a shelf unless you actually put some, um, some clear thought into how are you going to scale and enable and turn that into a reality that's going to solve one of the problems that we've got. And a lot of organizations um, don't necessarily invest in how you make that solution scalable, understand how you then um, find the right partner that is going to be a force amplifier to get that to a reality from an idea to a reality. I'm curious too, kind of going beyond GSK and back to the conference for a second, if there are any sort of conversations, like I'm sure you were like me just wandering around the, the show floor and seeing all the different companies and ideas that are thrown out there. Was there anything that really sparked an interest in you or something where you're like, oh, maybe that's something I hadn't really considered before. This is a, an interesting field that people are starting to put real money and resources into. Yeah, so I think um, there's an awful lot of buzz around generative AI and large language models. There is a plethora of new sensors. I mean, trying to stay on top of how rapidly that technology is evolving um, beyond consumer wearables into clinically validated. So where you can start to identify trends in uh, signals when it, uh, through voice activation, how you can start to understand cognitive health, um, how you can look at um, monitoring um, uh, blood measurement samples in patients' own home means they don't have to go to a clinic visit. So the speed at which that's evolving to be clin clinically evidenced as well and the maturity that we're seeing startups reach now. Last year, there was a huge decline, probably 50% decline in investment, um, VC investment for startups in the digital health space. And I actually weirdly welcome that because I see what we're seeing now is investment in companies that really have clinical evidence behind their claims. Before it was a bit of a wild west free for all, you know, there was, it was all smoke and mirrors. That's gone away now. And I, that's what I love to see at Health here that we're, people are starting to talk our language. They're talking, they're having an understanding of the, um, the rigor and the, um, the, the, the validation of clinically relevant data when they're bringing out a new technology. It's interesting to hear you bring that point up because I know that in 21, certainly when it came to biotech funding, a lot of people were saying, you know, it's just a wash and companies had these huge raises and everything. Last year was kind of a dip. And now this year, to your point, there have been a lot of companies with these really impressive raises, but it's also backing up a lot of clinically uh, evidenced technology and science that's there that's making meaningful differences for patient outcomes, which is ultimately the goal at the end of the day. It is absolutely the goal. And it comes back to my point about trust. We need to work with partners that understand the rigor that needs to go into these types of studies. Now, um, as a small organization, sometimes that can be very tough. It can be very expensive as well. But working early with a company like GSK means that that money is going to be well invested in the right type of a study. Worst thing that can happen is you go and conduct the study, you go and speak to a partner and you've conducted the wrong thing. 
hindsight is a wonderful thing. It is, absolutely. Uh, Lisa, I've really enjoyed you being on the program here. You had mentioned that this is obviously your first time coming to Vegas, which is a unique city on so many fronts. Outside of the conference, what else are you looking forward to as it relates to Las Vegas? A lot of people, it's the shopping, the concerts, the casinos. What, what stands out to you? Um, just to try and take in the positive assault on all of my senses, the <laughs> sights, the sounds, the smells, seeing that sphere. I've yeah. seen it on kind of um, TikTok and I've seen videos of this incredible and it almost looks as if it's, it, can I believe that image? Does it, is it real? But you see it in real life. Wow, that blew me away. Yeah, we were talking to one of our guests earlier and they'd gone to the U2 concert last night oh, and wow. obviously blown away by it. But it's incredible. You can't miss it coming down the, the strip. No, it's an icon. That is now. You're going to see that on fridge magnets in about two weeks time. <laughs> Absolutely. I'll have to get one for when I go back home. Well, Lisa, again, really appreciate you being on the show and appreciate you sharing our insights with your insights with our audience. Jack, thanks ever so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.